The Baron, Internet Radio, the voice of Corning Community College. Community is our middle name. I'm Mike at the mic, and with me is Leslie Skeffington, Coordinator of Support Services for Planned Parenthood of Greater New York. Leslie, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Before we get started, you'd like to add a caveat. I do want to give a content warning before we get started. We're going to be talking about sexual violence, and we know that that can really elicit some strong emotions from folks. So take care of yourself, and I hope you enjoy. Leslie, talk to us about Take Back the Night. Yes, thank you for asking. So Take Back the Night is a community event for us to get together supporting survivors and making sure it is known, especially that the college campus and Corning Community College is here for survivors and the mission is to eradicate sexual violence on college campuses. What are the roots of Take Back the Night? Yeah, great question. So Take Back the Night really came to fruition in the 70s when um, we were having, you know, this country especially was having a reckoning with women's rights. And a lot of that came, sexual violence impacts women um, historically and still present to this day more than it does any other identity. So a lot of women were fed up with that, right? And had this idea of gathering in unison, walking on a college campus together and saying, we're gonna take back the night, right? Because the message a lot of women get is, the nighttime isn't safe, you can't walk home alone at night. So a bunch of people were like, no, we're taking it back. Um, So it really is a powerful march. You can do a visual, um, anything really that brings community together to combat sexual violence. And, you know, when people get together, there's real momentum there, and it's a powerful experience. So Take Back the Night started off, right, as just an event in Pittsburgh, actually, was the first location. And now it has become a volunteer-based nonprofit that can provide organization supplies, even have a manual for how to hold your own Take Back the Night, and every April for Sexual Assault Awareness Month, and then again in October for Domestic Violence Awareness Month, they're held throughout the entire country, um, especially on college campuses where its original roots are. And it's really, really important to note that, like I said, this started from the women's rights movement in the 70s, but it has expanded for anyone, all identities, all sexual orientations and identities. It is for every single person because we know sexual violence impacts everyone. It's not just a women's issue. How prevalent is sexual assault on college campuses? It's unfortunately extremely prevalent, right? It's a topic that no one wants to talk about. And we know, right, small campuses, it doesn't mean they're immune from it. Um, A lot of the work that I do is on college campuses through the Enough is Enough legislation, which was created in New York State in 2015 to specifically combat the outrageous rates of sexual violence on campuses specifically. Uh, We know the statistics, a lot of statistics are based from reporting, um, and that's the other problem is that it's vastly unreported uh, for a lot of reasons, but it's about... One in four women, um, half of folks that identify as non-binary, and then even about one out of 16 folks that identify as men will be, unfortunately, survivors of sexual violence during their time in college. Why is it so unreported? I think we think of the stigma and, right, it's a crime that involves another person and another person as, like, the the victim themselves is their body has been victimized, right? It's not like a burglary where it's an item or something like that. And there's a lot of stigma around it. A lot of folks don't, right, innocent until proven guilty then means that the victim is assumed to not be telling the truth, right? 
And we see time and time again people reporting and it not going well, or people reporting and getting those questions over and over again that root seeds of doubts in folks. Um, there's a lot of victim blaming that goes on, whether it's intentional or not, you know, in the media, um, in peer groups, anything like that. It adds barriers to getting help and support. And especially on these smaller campuses, you know, you hear about somebody having a bad experience reporting and what happens. So then it discourages everyone else from reporting. And difficult to prove. Absolutely, yes. It, and that's the other problem. We know a lot of sexual violence happens between closed doors, and it becomes a this person said versus that person said. Um, so in part of that, part of the services that we do with survivor support services is we provide 24-7 hotline coverage as well for survivors and people impacted by sexual violence to call in for support. But another thing that we do is medical accompaniments. If somebody has been sexually assaulted, they have 96 hours to go to a hospital to get something called a forensic rape exam done. And why we really, it is always a victim's choice to go whatever route they choose, but by doing that, you're collecting DNA, which instantly proves that you know a sexual act has occurred. And that's a problem with campuses is there's internal processes for these, right? So they go through a con you go through the same student conduct system that you would go through um, for any other violation, right? So it's outside of the criminal justice system, but we see laws and regulations that change that make these processes on campuses seem more like the judicial system. So again, you've got folks that, everyone's got their own communities on campus, and when people find out about it, it instantly turns into right, a conversation of do they believe them, do they not believe them? And there's shame with that, right? Colleges, your campus is supposed to be your safe place and a home away from home. And when sexual violence occurs, that just that completely disrupts everything. Do different states have different laws? Yes, it can be different, which is what really gets tricky. Um, the Title IX is a civil rights protection through the federal government. Um, so we see, and right, and it can be politicized, unfortunately. So we saw a huge, in 2015, we saw a huge legislative response to sexual violence on college campuses. And then in 2020, a lot of those protections for survivors were taken away. And one of the big things that they did, they created, again, a system very similar to a judicial system of reporting and survivors have to go through something that looks very similar to a trial. Um, and states don't have authority to say no to the federal government. But each state has the capability to, as long as it's not explicitly written in that Title IX legislation, states have authority and power to change anything not listed. Um, so a lot of, right, New York State has their own legislation that to combat this, but it's vastly different in a state like Texas, right? It, it depends, right? And unfortunately, it, it has become very politicized. So you see certain states that might have, you know, different values, and that's put on survivors as well, um, which is really unfortunate. So I'm a big SVU fan, <laughs> Special Victims Unit. Part of what I know or think I know about sexual assault is based on Law and Order Special Victims Unit. How accurate is that? I love that you bring that up. I grew up watching SVU, which I hope paved the way for me getting in this spot today. Um, we all love an Olivia Benson, and I think that it's wonderful. She actually had so many viewers watched her as this amazing champion for survivors, right? To the extent where they started writing her letters and outpouring as if she was Olivia Benson and not, you know, her real Mariska Haggerty self. And she even started her own foundation out of that that helps, again, survivors throughout the country of just how to support somebody, statistics, all of that. 
Um, but one of the kind of painful points that comes from that show is that when survivors report or go to the police, they assume everyone is going to be an Olivia Benson. Um, and she is the gold standard, right? That character is who we want, what would be ideal, but we just don't see that. Um, and I think that creates, again, you walk in expecting this warm, caring person to really get this um, you know, emotional, supportive response from you. And it ends up being interviews with police are way more calculated than that, right? Their brains are different. They're looking for the criminal, not necessarily looking to support the victim. Um, so as wonderful as that is, it does paint sort of an unrealistic expectation of what reporting looks like. How important is it for people to hear survivor stories? I think it's one of the best tools that we can use for any story elicits sympathy and empathy from folks. And I think a lot of sexual violence is looked at, again, like we said, in this, we forget that it's another, hu that it's humans involved, right? And it's arguably one of the most violating experiences you can go through. When a survivor speaks their story, speaks their truth, we're doing two things here. We're eliciting empathy from people that are listening and also spreading awareness, three things really, and spreading awareness that this is an issue that happens to your neighbor. Oh, that person you see in the grocery store. Oh, that person lives next to me in the dorm. It becomes a real, those statistics become real people. And the third thing it really does is, like I said, survivors, it's vastly under, it's grossly underreported. But sometimes sharing your story is what somebody needs to heal. They need a microphone. They need somebody to listen. They need a group of people to say, we believe you. The judicial system might not. The campus system might not. But we do. And that holds power. Everyone's healing journey is different. Some people want to keep this as a secret their entire lives, and that's OK. Other people want it to be heard and understand having a community recognition that this is a problem, and it happens to, to anyone. What's the most important message about Sexual Assault Awareness Month and Take Back the Night? That communities have a lot of power in supporting survivors, a lot more than we think. Um, one of the biggest takeaways that I hope some folks can get from this is the statement saying, I believe you, can be truly life-altering. It can set somebody's life up for a healing journey of success instead of self-doubt and victim-blaming and self-blaming. So when everyone comes together, we listen to these stories and we say, thank you for sharing. Thank you for trusting us. We support you. We believe you. It's, it, it can be really indescribable, truly, the, the feelings that come from feeling supported, especially if you've had a journey thus far that you haven't felt any support. And I do want to just say, you know, if anyone hears us, we have our 24-7 hotline is 1-888-810-0093. You can also get connected with me through Connie Park in Title IX. And I work really closely with Babatunde over in the Diversity Center as well. Leslie Skiffington, Coordinator of Support Services for Planned Parenthood of Greater New York. Thank you for being here. Thank you. I'm Mike of the Mike. You've been listening to The Baron. The voice of Corning Community College. Community is our middle name.